Welcome to the Imagine Place podcast. I'm your host, Doug Shapiro, and I'm searching for voices that can help inspire a more creative and courageous youth. Is he a fan favorite? Yeah, absolutely. He's entertaining, fun, smooth, thoughtful. He is Brian Graham. So many people reached out to me after my episode with Brian Graham. I knew I needed to make Brian a more regular occurrence. So I hope to do this more with him. My time today with Brian was more of a conversation than an interview, so it's a little different. We recently spent some time together in Santa Fe, New Mexico at an annual event that I cherish, the IIDA Industry Roundtable. The roundtable is basically a place where dozens of thought leaders from all over the industry gather. We discuss the most pressing topics in design. We also took in a variety of speakers. We had a mayor, a curator, a futurist. Brian and I will spend this time walking through our biggest takeaways from those three sessions. But before we do that, we started this conversation reflecting on our flight home, which did not go as planned. We were supposed to land in Denver and ended up in Colorado Springs. So it took you, uh, it took you 23 hours to get home? Uh, yeah, I guess if I, yeah, 23 hours. So you stayed in Colorado Springs, right? Yes. So yeah, my original ticket was on United. And then when United told us to get on a bus and go from Colorado Springs to Denver in the snow, I was like, I'll pass. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that bus ride was pretty interesting. Did you talk to anybody else on the bus? I did not, but I did discover a um, a little nice little yum yum Thai place was the name of it. Yum yum Thai in Colorado Springs that delivers Uber Eats late at night. <laughs> so I, I got that out of it. <laughs> See, that's you're living a millennial lifestyle, right? It's sort of like uh, I need Thai food. Somebody bring it to me. I yeah. you know, <laughs> it just sounded yeah. When you say it like that, it just does sound pretty bad. Pretty entitled. No, even since it is, it's a life of privilege that we that we live, man. Um, yeah, but it was fun. To- um, so it was so this bus ride, which is nice and calm, and then as we get closer and closer to Denver, it's sleety and snowy, right? And then it's now the bus is wiggling a little bit, you know. And then the guy's oh, coming no. through some fairly unplowed off ramp, you know. And it's sort of like, wow! All of a sudden, this turned into. I wonder if we're even going to get to the airport on the bus anyway it all it all worked out but we had fun and then we made a mad dash literally got to the airport got in an uber xl seven minutes to the hotel dropped our bags came back to the only bar and restaurant in our hotel and we had 15 minutes to order food and drinks before they were going to shut down so (laughs) you know you're like okay i'll have two double gin and tonics (laughs) <laughs> you know, and just put them in separate glasses. It's, it was a stark change from uh, the four seasons. <laughs> yes, I think I ended up in uh, like the season and a half. <laughs> That's funny. Winter. You ended winter. Up in winter. <laughs> right, right. I didn't have the entire four seasons, I had just winter. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> well, I took I took a ton away from our time at the round table. Yeah. And I've got notes. I mean, I've pages, pages of notes here. And uh, I'd love to just kind of walk through, describe what we learned, hear your take on some things. And we can start with Bill Grant, right? 
Yes, Bill Grant. So Bill is half designer, half mayor, right? right? Well known in the world of graphic design and branding and experiential design. He's done a lot of showrooms. And you know, one of the one of the things, the explorations I'd love to toss out to you is uh, this idea of filters. He mm. used this and big thing I put down in my notes. Uh, what are our filters, our mm. conscious filters? Uh, and that could be for anything, but he, he was talking about not accepting work for things that he didn't believe in. And I just thought this idea of knowing your filters was kind of interesting because filters have a bad rap. I mean, filters can also keep us from being open, but in this case, I kind of loved thinking about like, well, no, we need to actually specifically have some filters, especially when like we're, we're selecting products or dealing with companies or making friends, whatever it is. Uh, so I thought that was really neat to be aware of those. Yeah, I, I think that's interesting too. Um, yeah, filters does, I guess, have somewhat of a pejorative negative connotation. And yet, um, maybe you call it prisms or maybe you call it, uh, it's a, to me, I think it's more of, a conscious choice. As you know, Bill had a much larger practice when he was uh, doing much more work. And I think that he, like a lot of folks, felt that you got to a point where, you know, what am I doing this for? Right? Am I feeding a machine? You know, it's interesting work and what have you. But is it really nourishing me? Uh, I, I think designers probably don't want to admit this, <laughs> hmm. but compensation takes lots of different forms. Certainly monetary compensation is important. We all need to be paid at the value for what we provide, but I think designers also have emotional compensation. Um, this is personal, what we do. And so when we do it, I think we want to feel like um, we're as invested in it emotionally and, and, and spiritually as we are from a standpoint of, you know, paying the bills. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can see that. I feel like, I don't know, you probably had a choice at some point, right, Brian? I mean, did you, did you have a choice to hire and grow, build this machine, so to say? Yeah. Or not? Has that choice ever crossed your desk? It, it has, uh, in my life between working for Gensler and, being completely on my own, which I am now, I had this um, partnership with a good friend of mine, and we purposely grew it to about six people. And one of the reasons that we decided that we couldn't be partners anymore, even though we're still really good friends, is because what he wanted to pursue, architecture and, and larger interiors, uh, required a certain critical mass of staff. Mm. And what I was really enamored with, fell in love with product design, furniture design is primarily a singular pursuit. Um, obviously like Roger Webb has people and, sure. and yeah, at some point. So yeah, I, that was one point where I decided, yeah, no, I want to follow this, this affair, this, this love that I've come up with in terms of product <laughs> this, design, right? It's not right. non-for-profit as you call it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, my unintentional nonprofit organization. <laughs> That's right. That's right. None of the profits and none of the tax benefits. But uh, but another one was a few years ago. This opportunity to take another 
step back and sort of said, okay, where, like what buckets am I involved in right now? You know, like I, I, I do product design, I do some consulting for select clientele, and then I like do some other things. And I found that the other things, which were probably more aligned with me as an interior designer, you know, showrooms, exhibits, things like that, were I was spending way too much time on those things. I wasn't really built to do that. I didn't have the staff or the resources to do that. And yep. so I made a hard choice saying, okay, that thing that really kind of connects me to my interior design past, I have to stop. I, because I'm not, that's not really where my passion lies. And, but more importantly, um, if I really wanted to service that at the level that I thought I needed to, I was really have to build a team. So I go back to Bill Grant. Bill has a team of, well, it's the four of them and they're super focused. And let me tell you, they don't take on anything that they can't do at a very high level. And, and I've never seen them produce anything that I didn't sit back and go, man, that's, that is really good. Wow. I mean, I think a lot of people probably aspire to get to that place. Oh yeah. Here's another one. Uh, a quote from him that I wrote down, trust the universe. Mm. Do you trust the universe? I mean, I, I do. Does it get me in trouble? Sure. But I think I, I believe that the universe wants good for me. So I tend to trust. <laughs> That's a great question. Um, I'm going to go back to, I, I think I would qualify that. I would, yeah, trust, but verify. Mm. You know, I mean, designers, I believe for the most part are optimists. We have to be, right? Because what we do is say, I know that there's been all this stuff that's done before. You're coming to me to do something. I feel like I can make a contribution. I feel like I can do it better this time. You know, I can, I can, I can make the world a better place, be it a spoon or a chair or a city. So yeah, you have to believe that there's there's another force out there that's helping us, that's putting stuff in front of us that we can say, yes, this is, this is how we need to go and, and, and trust that process. And I think Bill's really interesting in that respect because, and you heard all these fantastic anecdotes, some of which I hadn't even heard, right? About being on the way to an airport, literally to fly in and accept a big corporate job with what might have been considered sort of a dream gig, but then realizing, no, I, this is not what I want to do, right? And yeah. trusting that that those signs that yes, all the things that I've been thinking about and ruminating about are coming through. This is not the right thing. That's a lovely thing, but I think it's only maybe something that happens as a memory, right? <sighs> you don't maybe know in the moment that it's the right thing, so you take that leap of faith. Oh man, yeah that that is. You're right. It's easy to retrospectively <clears throat> to look back and say, oh, trust the universe, right? Right. But, but in that moment, it really is a leap. It's not about, uh, you know, it's, and Alyssa, I remember Alyssa from Kansas City asked this question. She was like, mm -hmm. well, Bill, like this was really inspiring, but how do you just make a decision to like not take a job and go start a company just by pulling off the road? And it was such a true moment because like we were all inspired, but mm -hmm. we were all finding like, at least I found myself like, I don't know if I have the guts to do that. You know, like I want to say, oh, trust the universe and just follow mm -hmm. my gut. But um, 
taking paths that are not familiar, you know, that stuff, that stuff is scary. It is scary. Um, and it's context too. That's why I say, you know, I think memory has a lot to do with this, right? In hindsight, which we know is all 2020. And I know a lot of my, um, brothers and sisters in, uh, in design have taken that leap of faith and it didn't work out right mm-hmm. for some reason. It's what you do with it, right? Stuff happens. Yeah. It's how you react, right? And so yeah. if you have an optimistic perspective, if you feel like something, you know, the door closes, another door opens, I do think it's a matter of attitude, right? Um, and so that's, that to me is, I think Bill's always had the attitude, like it's going to work out. I'm not going to sweat it too much, even though he might internally ruminate and, and, and go through like what we all do, kind of like a wane <laughs> back and forth. Is this the right thing? But that ability to just sort of say, no, I'm just going to take this leap and see where it leads and know that I will land on my feet and I will figure it out, even if it ends up not being great. I mean, there's, there's something in that perspective. Like Mm -hmm. if we're right, yes. High fives. Amazing. Right. If we're wrong, I learned, I learned. And I I can remember like a, a conversation I had um, with someone that I totally mishandled mm. and I re- it sticks in my head. And I said something that I regretted and I was like, oh man, you know, and, and I, I go back to that conversation. This was years ago, probably four, five years ago. I go back to it and I'm like, you know, like I recall that frequently because it was such a learning lesson. It's like, well, I'm not making that mistake again, you know? And so it's, it's really helped me handle conflict differently. Right. Right. I, I, I skipped over something because at, at the beginning of the session, Cheryl gets up and she talks about time, right? She uses the word time in, I don't know, 50 different phrases, right? Time to move on. Time is a ticking. Time is on your side. And time became the theme of so much of the discussion. And I love how she does this at the start of these roundtables. In fact, she didn't do it this year, but I kind of want to go look it up. Every year, she typically says, okay, this is the Oxford Dictionary word of the year, right? (laughs) right. And she'll break that down a little bit. Let's actually see what 2022 was. 2022 Oxford Dictionary word of the year. My computer must have been listening. It pulled it right up. What? Mm. Oh my gosh. What is that, right? Goblin mode? Goblin mode. (laughs) What? You need to Google this. 2022 Oxford Dictionary Word of the Year. Goblin mode. Goblin mode. It It was the first time in history the Oxford Dictionaries allowed the public to vote on its 2022 Word of the Year. The winner, Goblin mode. You will have to explain that to me. I feel so dumb. Like, I don't know the word of the year. I, I honestly, I don't know what goblin mode is either. It sounds like a tie-in to Starbucks uh, pumpkin spice lattes, maybe. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay, let's let's get into this real quick. Okay. Uh, I'm going to keep reading here. The term is defined as a type of behavior which is unapologetically self-indulgent, lazy, or greedy typically in a way that rejects social norms or expectations. Goblin mode. I mean... Wow. Wow. Uh, the, the others were metaverse and mm-hmm. hashtag I stand with. How about that? 
Those were the love the last one. Totally good with the middle one. Goblin mode. I don't know. See, this is the thing, Doug, about crowdsourcing. Um, <laughs> it involves crowds. <laughs> it sure does. <laughs> Brian, are you muted? Okay, no. It says user is experiences of connection issues, but recording is being saved locally. Okay, we're fine. Uh, yeah, never mind. Good? I just saw. I, yeah, the little I line my went mute away button when I cough. That's okay. the cough button for us uh, broadcast professionals there, Doug. <laughs> I took a semester of radio and TV production in City College, so. Okay, well, yeah. I'm going to, you know what? Well, you and I have to make an attempt to use the word goblin mode a few times goblin here. Goblin mode. All right, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> okay. Now we know why Cheryl didn't lead with the 2022 <laughs> Oxford Dictionary <laughs> Word of the Year. <laughs> All right, so after Bill Grant... Lisa Demetrios, mm. uh, you were Lisa. fanboying out over there. <laughs> tell us, tell us who Lisa is. Lisa Demetrios is the granddaughter of Charles and Ray Eames, and her mother was able to acquire an amazing collection of artifacts from the Eames office and her parents' practice, and has them currently housed in a beautiful William Turnbull designed series of buildings in Petaluma, California, just about 45 minutes north of San Francisco. Her ability to constantly weave in and out her grandparents' thoughts, perspective, approach to things, that is really nourishing to me as a creative because um, their approach to, to life to problem solving, to being curious and empathetic and, and whatever. Today, I mean, those are the underpinnings of our entire profession. And I constantly, when things get kind of crazy, I love being able to go back to those reference points and sort of say, yeah, am, am I hitting on all the things that they would have thought about and addressed? Yeah, and I, I had a few quotes that came out of the talk. This is, this is good. This, tell me if this came from Lisa. Hmm. Okay. You may solve a spatial problem out of a love for dance, but you didn't love dance in order to solve the problem. Hmm. And I thought that was a super unique, deep quote mm -hmm. that I've hung on to. Hmm. And I thought we need to lean into joy more than we need to learn, lean into learning. And mm. I, I, I related it to myself as like a coach. Mm -hmm. Like my job is less to teach as it is to help them love the sport they're playing. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I, I, at least that was how I took that, that message. Yeah, I like that interpretation. Um, for me, it feels like that's what we do as creatives, right? I mean, part of, I think, the process that helps people understand the value that we bring to uh, the work is for them to appreciate our perspective and advocate for doing things better or cleaner or more sustainable than they're currently being done. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, that's really resonating for me too. I like that you pulled that off. Yeah. It's like, and you know, even, even like this, the, the podcast, like, I may have learned things about communication because I love these conversations, but I didn't mm -hmm. 
love the conversations in order to learn about communication. It's like, it's almost like you do what you do because you love it. Mm -hmm. And then you figure out how it applies to the world and what you can gain from it. And it's like, it's like a different, different way of thinking about, I don't know what you, what you do with your life. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, 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 I'm all about that. I'm going to modify it maybe a little bit. What do you think of this? I think that part of loving what you do is being good at it. Mm. And so in some respects, you know, I, I don't want people maybe to think this is all about like follow your bliss. Right. Cause I think that can be a trap. Um, one of the things that I think I've been lucky about doing, I think a lot of people do you, especially you've done a lot of different things, Doug, but you, you have to admit, right. What you're doing right now is like the sweet spot. Fair enough. Okay. <laughs> I take that as right. compliment. Thank, thank you. Thank you. No, right. I mean, but you're clearly like almost people have said so, born to so do this. Why do, why do people like to golf? <laughs> I ask myself that question every morning when I get up and go to the, go to the golf course. Why do people do this? Um, that I don't might know. Be the only exception. <laughs> it, might be, it might be the only exception. Well, but see, that's the thing, right? We, we talked about this a little bit, right? There's that, that great line about golf from uh, the movie uh, Tin Cup right? Golf is like making love. You don't have to be particularly skilled at it to enjoy yourself. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. That's good. But, but, you know, I I don't know. I kind of feel like uh, we, you know, designers get out of school. Hey, I'm a designer. Well, what does that really mean? Because in school, you know, you're just pretty much singularly focused on producing everything. Now you enter into this thing where, hey, man, there's a lot of other people that are involved in this process. There's a, mm. a lot of – and they've – this person's really good at finishes, and I'm not so great at that. And you start to learn, okay, wh- what am I good at, and where do I fit in this ecosystem of creative solutions for spaces? Um, and I think that takes a time and a process. I also think too, it, you have to sort of be open to that. You have to like learn to make mistakes, go down some wrong paths, try some stuff, find what you're really good at. And then I think you will have the passion and you get then rewarded for that, right? Spiritually, compensation, yeah. monetarily. So I think we're all on this journey, right? That's to me, uh, the takeaway, right? Is that, yeah, you, you, you want to fall in love with the things that you're doing and in the doing of them, hopefully you get really good at it, which just feeds upon your passion. I, I, I like that. All right. Well, here we had one more speaker, yes. Mark Bryan. He's actually yes. been a guest. Uh, he's been a guest on Imagine a Place. He uh, is a futurist and really gets us outside our box. So what Mark did, he's, he, he painted us all these pictures of, what life could be like in five years and 10 years, you know, I think, I think he did like five, seven and 10. Right. Mm-hmm. And he gave us different scenarios to kind of react to and said, okay, if we know what we don't want the future to look like, and we know what we do want the future to look like, we can work backwards from that and begin to say, well, here's the things that we need to watch out for or change or address so that we don't end up like this. And we do end up like that. Right. Right. That was a fun exercise, but there was also, a lot of discussion during 
and prior to just just about the way we're working, the design industry, um, how we, I mean, everything from fees to how we collaborate uh, to expectations of what the market will be like. And there was so much there. Um, there was a question that went around mm-hmm. that people had different answers to, and it was what keeps you up at night? I'm going <laughs> to read to you some of the, some of the responses I got back. Yeah. Here. Yeah. Keep, what keeps you up at night? One burnout. Mm. I thought that was interesting. It wasn't on my list but I can see how it's on a lot of people's list right now. Uh, blurring the lines, blurring the lines between work and life, blurring mm-hmm. the lines between the metaverse and reality. There was just sort of general blurring of lines that kept somebody up at night. That was interesting too. Secession planning. Uh, the, the A big one actually that was very popular in the group was the next generation of designers being behind. Mm-hmm. Now, I think mm-hmm. we which I'm glad we did, people became more specific about that, right? Mm-hmm. Well, what do you mean by being behind? There were different comments. A lot of it was relating back to um, their experience at a university during the pandemic and how that was affected. And I don't know if they're feeling the effects of different people communicating differently or maybe even the effects of our, the professional world and what it's had on our on the ability to kind of mentor and create relationships. No one was being hard on a generation. No one was expressing no. disappointment, but through the session, it was like, well, you know, here's how I'd like to see them grow. Yeah. I would say that to me, probably now that I'm thinking about it was a constant thread through the whole uh, time we were together I actually think that we as an industry have to stop and say, are we giving, are we giving the younger generation the kinds of very clear models of how you become good, then better, then best in the roles that you're playing? Right. Mm. Do we have enough time to say mentoring? What does that really mean? I've always found like, If I want to be somebody, I'm going to look to the people that are where I want to be, and I'm going to find out what it took to get there. It's not unlike what Mark Bryant's talking about with Futurecast and then backcasting, right? Right. So that's, to me, the great takeaway with Mark uh, is project yourself out, which designers are really good at doing, five years, 10 years. Imagine a future and what that looks like in those scenarios, paint the rich picture, and then pull back and see what are the steps that I need to take today, next week, next month, next year to get towards that. You may actually never get there, but you're at least moving towards the goal. I think that the idea of of giving these clear models to the next generation is really important to think about. I love how you frame that. Here's another one I'm going to toss out to you. Mm-hmm. What keeps you up at night? Justice, equity, diversity, inclusion. Is it just a performance or is it real? Mm. The word performance, you know, it made me cringe when I heard mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. You know, just the insincerity of that. And uh, and that was a comment 
uh, by somebody that that was their thing. And I was like, oh man, um, that was a pretty powerful one. There was one more I'm going to toss out to you here. Okay. Uh, a reduction of interest in labor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, something that, that was interesting, I think, is a comment by Gabrielle Bullock at the roundtable. Do you remember when she, uh, we were talking about the reaction to the future scenarios that Mark did that touch on, on all these things? Remember, she said, you know, the thing that I'm not sure of here in these scenarios is I'm, I'm missing the humanity. Mm. I'm missing the human part of it. It sounds very cold and very, well, frankly, kind of techie and digital. And, you know, where's the, where's the, where are the people? Yeah. I mean, I, I thought about that too. And I was like, well, it was a very technocentric future that was being described. And yes. I was thinking, okay, well, like if I asked you to describe the future and I was, and, and the story I told you was like, well, you wake up just like any other day and you have breakfast just like any other day. And then you meet your friends and you, you know, it'd be like, what? Is this really the future? <laughs> so I, I think Gabrielle was right. She was, because it focused on the things that would be different from what they are today, you know? Mm -hmm. And inherently, those were more tech-centric. And so, uh, the, the, the picture painted was very cold and unhuman. But I don't think it was because that's what life would be like. It was like, that was what no. we needed to see, because mm -hmm. that was what would be different, if that makes any sense. Absolutely. I think Mark is very skilled. He's a really gifted orator. I think the thing that, that was designed for an emotional response, right? That, that yes, was, it was. You're right. I'm going to provoke you. In, and that's, uh, in some ways, I think that that's what leadership does, right? Is it helps to paint pictures. It provokes folks for action. It inspires people to, to say, well, wait a minute. I never really thought about that. Yeah, there there was something I wrote down, like the feeling I had of it was like, when I thought out to the future was like, am I going to matter? Like, right. I, I felt like the pace of change that Mark put out there was probably on point. It wasn't outlandish, but I thought, I, I don't know if I can do this. Like, I don't know if I'm skilled enough or yeah. smart enough or techie yeah. enough to, to, to stay relevant. And so part of the things that scared me about the future was just the divide, the mm -hmm. generational divide. Mm -hmm. We talk about the haves and have nots when it comes to technology and tech, right. access to technology, but there's also this generational divide that, that I was a little bit concerned about, like, man, you know, like how, how are, how are we going to bring people along so that they can contribute in this new world? Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I'm of two minds. I, I, Look, I'm a I'm a tech guy. I mean, I enjoy it. I live here uh, in Northern California. It's you know all about the new and the neat and look at this and look at that, innovating and trying stuff and all. I think in a lot of cases, what people are missing and Gabriel was right uh, or Gabriel was right is the human aspect. So I think about the old mega trend, high tech, high touch. I think about for every new thing that's ethereal and virtual and digital is an equal and opposite reaction that's tactile and human and warm. 
Mm. And so I can only think that at the end of the day, humans who actually evolve fairly slowly, (laughs) we think we're much faster, but we really, really don't. Um, That I think we're all aligned on the human condition that we want to live in, right? We all want strong families. We all want good relationships. We all want to live our lives. We want to pursue leisure. We also want to make money. And, you know, we think we all aligned on that. It's means and methods that we need to work on. Hmm. Means and methods. That's pretty strong. Yeah. But you know what I'm saying is somebody who's 26 probably wants very much the same things that I want at my age or somebody in between us wants. So the question is, how do we get there? And that's where that's, you know, come back, slam the doors down, the filters, what have you, you know, why am I here? What am I supposed to be doing? What's my purpose? Um, and my, my experience is if you take care of what's in front of you with a mind to the future, by respecting the past, stuff will work out. Um, maybe that's back to Bill's idea of the universe, you know, trust the universe. But that, but it's yeah. it's a two way street. It's not letting fate be the hunter. It's you being somewhat proactive, aspiring to do better things, trusting your gut, um, but doing your work and doing it well. I like that. I like do your work. It's just a uh, you know, that's a nice hashtag there. So you have hashtag do your work. You've got hashtag trust the universe. Uh, if we had to throw out some more hashtags, what would those be? <laughs> hashtag bless your heart. Yeah, bless your heart. <laughs> what, else, what else would you toss in there, Brian? <laughs> um, hashtag uh, baked goods and cocktails. Uh, because um, <laughs> really, at the end of the day, let's strip it all back. Um, that's what this industry runs on, Doug. Baked goods <laughs> and cocktails. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was good. All right. Uh, this is fun. Yeah. I don't know what I'll do with this, Brian. I'm just going to carve it up a little bit. <laughs> it's, yeah, we're just two chatty Cathy's. Just love to spend some time together. For more design stories, visit us at OFS.com slash imagine a place. From OFS, I'm Doug Shapiro. Thanks for listening.